guys, welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. We have a great OC Rewind for you guys today. Um, Patrick Long is going to call in and talk about Daytona, Tesla response, the unintended acceleration accusations, two leaders are going nuts, Mitsubishi gets raided, and we're going to get into the mailbag. We have a lot of listener feedback this week, and we're going to try to answer as many of them as we can. And Georgia is funny. Georgia's funny? Georgia is funny. Okay. I didn't see that one, but I'm looking forward to uh, Georgia as a state being funny. Uh, we just got back from doing a live recording. That's right. As well. So that's going to be our, our first ever live podcast. That was a lot of recording. fun. I really enjoyed it. And I want to thank the, the North Star BMW chapter for having us out. And that's going to be, be available on our Patreon. Can you tell everybody about that, Jake? Yeah, I delved into uh, some really, really obscure history of BMW. It was good. It was interesting. Uh, so head over to patreon.com slash overcrest to check that out, support the show, and get a whole bunch of other exclusive content. Yep, that episode's already up. You can get a bunch of other stuff too. You know, there's other things you can get there, but most of all, support the show. And guys, we never asked before, but make sure you hit that subscribe button. Yeah, your- and if you're not subscribing already, please do. Yeah, please if subscribe. If you just discovered us, subscribe yep be great so what is going on with the truck and let's reiterate what the truck is because we've been saying truck for like three weeks yeah so this is a 1964 chevrolet c10 pickup truck with some nice patina on it now this is your dad's truck right right it's for your dad yep so my dad purchased it but i'm also putting a lot of money into it as well and like so i want your guys's truck it's our project what year right. is it sorry say that again 64 so you can take it to the back to the 50s i then. was thinking that yeah, yeah we can. should do that this yeah. next year can uh, i sit in the back sure yeah with the cooler of beer yeah absolutely <laughs> it sounds like the way to do it I've it's gotta be hams though because so it matches the can perfectly i, I think don't know that why. sounds fine I, maybe you could do something. No, we're not going to talk about it. I was going to say you could do some like, like patina liberated. logo and then like patina a little bit. No, That's but just you going know what too I was far. looking for is old Ham's coolers. Yeah. Because just keep that be in back. There. Yeah. I've been to Back to the 50s a lot. And for anybody that doesn't know, Back to the 50s is the biggest car show in the country. I think in the world, Chris. It, well, that probably goes without saying we have more cars here than anywhere else. It's unbelievable. Huge show. The problem is, is that it's really geared towards 1964 and older. Do you well, know what? Not just geared towards. They don't let anything in. That do you know why? Newer than because generally the Mustang came out in '65. I don't think they want Mustang guys showing right. up to they their don't event. Allow, even the 1964 and a half Mustang, they don't allow in. <laughs> which, uh, it's, I, yeah, it's pretty vindictive. That's pretty bad. Well, but they're trying so to. So you keep have it to be kind of like into that older old stuff. hot rod. Street yeah, and rod there are stuff. a lot of customs there. Um, you know what I want to do is I also want to rent a scooter and drive around on one of the scooters because they have scooter rental there. I think that would be a lot of fun too well, not when you, you have a truck now so yeah well, you can that just too. hang that's, out that's, in the back that's a great idea i've yeah. always wanted to do that so what have you been doing what's so what's, we might i should say my dad has done all the work he pulled out all of the rusty floor pans in the car and so been stitching that all back together got replacement rocker panels okay, so i saw and, that you worked on the yeah the rocker this today yep um how well is this aftermarket stuff fitting for you really well okay yeah that, it takes some trimming but most of it is really. Are you well. just trimming it with shears, or how are you trimming this stuff? Bandsaw. Okay, so you got a bandsaw that yeah. you're doing everything with. Yep, I have a bandsaw as well. If you want to borrow that, I don't think I will need a bandsaw. Okay. So here's what's interesting, though. My dad and I were working on this, and he knows about your project, of course, with the 911 during the whole front of that thing off. And he goes, "Does Chris have any idea how long this will take him?" Because he's sitting here and just doing like all these patch panels, and he's like, "This takes a long time." I only have one really one patch panel everything else is kind of goes in a spot it's not like i'm cutting something out why well, i'm cutting <laughs> you know I'm, I'm just saying i'm not cutting like a section like a square out of the fender and trying to like make this fit uh-huh. you know i'm kind of doing parts that's i'm hoping it's more like it'll a be super easy yeah it'll it's be no like Legos, right so i imagine that it's going to be <laughs> It's going to be me kind of clamping or screwing everything together and calicoing everything together. And then the hood and the fenders and the bumper are going to be going on and off and on and off and on and off, trying to get everything to line up correctly. Right. And I bought an angle gauge, a little magnetic angle gauge, like I mentioned before. And that's going to be going on and off and on and off and on and off. I mean, I imagine everything going back and forth a million times trying to, to get, try everything to get everything lined perfect. up. Yeah, so it's it's a little bit different than what you're doing because you guys are cutting a panel out of a section that's already there. Right. I'm replacing something that doesn't exist. Like the front of the car so, is... Oh, so that's easier, you're saying? Because Technic- that sounds much more difficult. Technically, I think it's different. I don't say I don't think it's easier or harder. I just okay. think it's a different application. I just thought and, it was funny. He's like, I, he has no idea what he's getting himself into. This is going to take a long time. Yes. I Well, Aaron Hatz from Flat 6, the, the shop here... 
um, that works on all the old air cooled stuff is like, yeah, you've probably got about total about 50 to 70 hours worth of work. Yeah. And I've didn't do anything all week since we talked last. Yeah. Since we <laughs> talked last, I've done absolutely nothing, but I think this week I'm going to try and get started. You don't believe me. You're no, looking I at don't. me. You're skeptical. No, I'm skeptical. This week, I, I'm, I'm going to get started. All right. On to the news. Uh, Patrick Long was at the Daytona 24, obviously, racing with First Form Supplements, uh, the sponsored 9-11 for Wright Motorsports. Okay. So I wanted to kind of get, I watched the event. I watched I watched some here and there. I, there's sure. no way I can sit in front of the TV for 24 hours. But I watched the end. I watched the last hour especially, and it was really, really close. I um, He got fourth, but watching okay. the first and second place, they were right there all the way till the end wow. of the race within... Uh, for most of the race, they had the BMW and Porsche were within a second of each other. Wow. And then at the end, I think it was like three seconds or something like that. I watched the BMW finally pass the Porsche towards the end. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> but it's, it's just how it goes. But I talked to Patrick. I want to know how he felt afterwards, what, sure. what the event was like. So here's my call with Pat. Hello? Mr. Patrick Long, how's it going, man? Good. How are you? Good. This is Chris from the Overcrest Podcast. You must be wiped out, man. Pretty slammed. Pretty slammed. So, uh, what is the what is the toll on your body when you do something this like this? What's it like? Um, sort of the day after getting rear-ended on the street, you just like everything kind of uh, everything kind of aches and uh, yeah, just dehydrated and uh, need, needing a break. So, how did everything go? It went well. Uh, we executed on our plan and didn't have enough for a podium, but fourth place and. We'll take it. I mean, it's a it's a long season, but everybody wants to watch. It seemed like it was a really, really competitive event this year. From judging towards the end, there it was everything was really close. Yeah, all the classes were super tight. It was, um, you know, it, the technology and everything else that's evolved has has meant that it's it's a full sprint now. So, what is it about this event that keeps you coming back every? I mean, you've been there many times. What what brings you back? Well, it's first and foremost, it's my job, but uh, <laughs> I think the prestige of, of the 24 hours and Rolex and the heritage of, of the whole event is, is one that everybody wants. I was fortunate enough to win uh, the, the watch in 2009, but it's uh, been eluding me since. And uh, we, we kick off the IMSA season here, and uh, it's, a, it's definitely the most international of, of all the races and uh, then on to Sebring. So yeah, we got, got to, got to treat it as a start to the season, but also, uh, you know, you want, you want that victory. So what are the prospects and the plan for the rest of the season? Is this kind of uh, a good, would they consider this a good start for you guys or do you feel behind or where do you guys feel like you're at? Not solid for us. Um, I think, you know, we're somewhere around 10 races, but um, you know, the Rolex goes, pear shaped pretty quick for for a lot of a lot of the memories and it, it puts you in a deficit for the season if if you don't start off with a at least a top five so um this is a this is a great start for us and uh, we have to get through sebring as well and and then settle into the sprint races as we get sort of into the the summer months but uh, we're happy it's a, a program that i've been working with right motorsports for quite a few years now and uh this is this is one of the most exciting projects we've had just because we have great funding we have great partners and sponsors and we feel like we have the the, the preparation the deal came together nice and early so we've been able to really put a lot of preparation and time into you know what it takes to to compete with all these different sort of factory funded teams but a lot of lot of cars in GTD these days, and any any given weekend, there's you know ten to twelve cars that can take the win. So, who do you think your biggest competition is this year? Well, so far, um, Lambo and uh, Paul Miller, who who they've come back together. Brian Sellers and Madison Snow, they won a couple of years ago. They're definitely going to be tough, but. Uh, fast uh, out of Canada, who who's also a Porsche team, they're going to be very, very good. Uh, Zach Robichon is sort of a sneaky silver, as we call him, where it's an amateur that has to start qualify the race. But there's a few guys that have slipped under the uh, radar of, of rule makers and have qualified themselves as amateurs. So those those teams are always going to be tough. And basically what it means is in a two hour and 45 minute race, uh, I'll take over the controls for the final hour hour and a half and have to have to claw back uh some track position but uh it makes for good racing and and i'm definitely up for the the challenge it's it's a, a long season we have street courses we have traditional road courses and sort of cross cross the the continent so i'm gonna gonna give it our our all and the car was good to you yeah yeah the um grip was weird this year 
we expected that the track would rubber in as as this race went on and it didn't and we we missed it a little bit on on projecting setups and spring rates and things like that but in the end that's that's the 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 challenge of 24 hour racing is you kind of have to set the car up for the end of the race and and guesstimate on where it's going to be and we probably were a little overzealous on on some of those things but uh the gt3r is a, a great car ryan hardwick my teammates coming out of a mid-engine car from from another manufacturer and he's right up to speed so i think that's what they've they've focused on it you know with porsche motorsport is getting a car that is easy to get up to speed and adaptable because 911s <laughs> traditionally have been known as pretty tough to wrangle and um this this model is more refined than ever well i appreciate you uh, letting me talk to you and congrats on fourth place and we look forward to following you for the rest of the season thanks good to talk to you and uh we'll we'll be following the podcast appreciate it all right sounds good take care thanks Chris. bye-bye so you know what i should have done what's it, that in in his tired dehydrated state is i should have said hey where's luft <laughs> seeing if i could draw that out of him i should have uh, taken advantage of this situation but um sounds like the, those guys had a good time and uh the race looks interesting in the in the in the season this year looks like it'll be competitive yeah which is what we want to see if you can if you're within three or four seconds of somebody after racing for 24 hours that's crazy like bmw was about. bmw won it but um that's wild it's basically that really it's, that's almost wheel-to-wheel racing for 24 hours in and out of the pits right really really cool so uh moving on Jake, what do you think is the most horsepower you can get out of a stock from the factory two-liter engine? I'm talking about the, the block. Right. What are we doing? I mean, you can change turbochargers, do whatever you want. This is from the factory. What can you do with that motor? Does it have to be reliable still? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so this is basically what can a tuner get out yeah, of Yeah, what stock? can a tuner get out of I, these motors man, these days? I don't know because stock two-liter engines now are making... Yeah, we're going to get into that. Horsepower. Yeah, we're going to get into that. So, so I'm going to say 400, maybe. Rentec, the Florida-based tuning firm, is renowned for its tuning package exclusive to, exclusive to AMG models. Its latest package is available for the A45, uh, A45S formatic. These are all-wheel drive. Why don't they just make an, a rear-wheel drive hatchback? How great would that be? Yeah, it would be. To just get rid of the formatic business and just have the, the rear-wheel drive. So um, I like this thing. You know, okay. it's like this hatchback thing. You can click the link there and see. Um, so this motor makes in stage one is 475 horsepower. <laughs> That's stage one. And then they're working on uh, stage two to be released in the first quarter of 2020 is 550 to 600 horsepower. Oh. And this is the changes in that are the turbocharger system, exhaust, downpipe, and different cat, and obviously tuning. So you, wow. so you do chip, intake, exhaust, turbo, 600 horsepower. Wow. You've got to be kidding me. That's nuts. 600 horsepower, all-wheel drive. You'd, you would want all-wheel drive with yeah, 600 with horsepower to hatchback. Unbelievable. This thing it, is cool. Yeah, it's a great-looking car. I don't – the whole matte black paint thing. I don't I like it. I could kind of take it or leave it. I don't – you know, I never told this story. When I was down in Texas a few weeks ago for a, buddy, a buddy's wedding, we saw a Mercedes with the flat black paint. It was an SLK AMG. Is What'd that you a think? thing? Did it look cheap? No. It Okay. So first of all, yes. It looked like someone just went to Pep Boys and had a wrap done yep. and like it had all the other like weird pinstripes and stuff. Yep. But here's what happened. This car, we were right there and this car sideswiped it. Oh, no. And kept going. Oh, no. And so this lady, and I'm looking at this paint, I'm like, wait a minute, how are they going to match that? Oh, that has to be man. so much harder to try to like repair that paint. Yeah, it really you probably is. You can't buff is. it out. A normal car, a lot of that you could have buffed out. That, you, if you touch it with a buffer, it gets shiny. You ruin it. That's a really good I had point. never thought of that until I saw it happen. I was like, oh man, that's another reason not to like that paint. I like how they look sometimes because they can look pretty mean, but generally well, it's just I'm, it's the old hot rod thing, right? It's all in primer. Like that's where that comes from, the matte look. Yeah, it's called the murdered out. I mean right. you can murder out your black car is the look that you I get. Just, yeah, I agree with you. I don't care for all it. All right. So speaking on high power four cylinders, we know that we now know what the Golf 8 GTI and R are gonna make for power. So basically what happened is some dude was sitting in like a marketing meeting okay. and he had his little phone down in his lap and he went, click. And he took a picture of the of all the model lines up there. It was like a training thing. Oh, so he no took kidding. a picture and probably sold it to some publication or whatever. So <laughs> um, Volkswagen's next Golf R will head the Mark 8 range with 329 horsepower. Wow. The Well, wow. But people were thinking it was going to be 400. Okay. There was a lot of people that thinking it was going to be the upper 300. My Mark 4 Golf or R32 was 250. 262. 
was uh, the Mark IV, wasn't it? 47, actually. Oh, really? Okay, mm-hmm. my bad. Yep. Um, but the GTI now is 241 wow. for a stock GTI. Yeah. And I mean, that's the car, for me, that's the car I would get. I was I would get a stock GTI and then I would tune that up. Sure. Because I think they're the same engine. I think they are I think too. you get just a different turbocharger and some different tuning. Maybe right. the intercooler is a little bit different. Otherwise, it's the same. Yeah. Um, so those, uh, the numbers are leaked according to a leaked internal slide, like I mentioned. Um do we know what the TCR is? Because I was the, asking that. I TC, don't. They said the slide also says the TCR will have 296 horsepower, and I don't know what a TCR is. Um, we should probably should have looked before we did this. Um, and then the GTD will have uh, 200 horsepower, about, okay. which is the diesel GTI thing, which we will not see here because Americans hate diesels again. There was like this five-year period where Americans love diesels. Right. You know, they hated them in the 80s because they were just disgusting, stinky, never-start messes. And then Volkswagen had their campaign, and then... Everything got screwed so up. So the TCR slots between the GTI and the Golf R. So it's just another Golf model? It's the Touring Car Racing TCR class. So is it actually a, a car that you can take club racing of some sort? Or what's the deal? All right. So this says that uh, Volkswagen is a front-wheel drive Golf race car for the global Touring Car Racing class. Now, manufacturers such as Volkswagen and their marketing departments, of course, love to connect their competition models with they're road cars, sure. so they made basically the TCR edition GTI. Oh, so it's, it's meaningless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's great. So we got two months before the GTI is officially revealed. That's basically... But now we season. know the important things. Yeah. So uh, people, we found out... So we've talked about this before. <laughs> yeah. People still do not want te- the technology and the safety stuff that's in these new cars. They don't really want it. No. And now we have proof. My proof was go- going to my father-in-law and being like, hey, do you want this? Because I th- he was a... He was a uh, transportation engineer. He was a firefighter, regular guy. Mm-hmm. Have you asked your dad if he's interested in any of this oh, stuff? Oh, I know he isn't. Is he just, no, I don't know. Not exactly. Emitting grumpy sounds. I think he loves that he can Bluetooth play songs onto his F-150. That's about all he needs. Yeah. That's really all anybody needs. I agree. Um, I do. The only reason I use Apple CarPlay in my wife's wagon is because it's easy to just listen to music and podcasts. That I don't, is cool. I don't really the use the same interface as your phone. I like that. Idea. I don't really. I, and it'll read you your text messages, which can be nice. But all the other stuff like the cruise Except control. Except for the dirty ones that you accidentally have read out loud. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't happen to me, but I can imagine it being in the drive through parking lot <laughs> at Taco Bell. Wait, a drive through hey, parking lot? drive through uh, Is that just a Bell? really busy drive through yeah, restaurant? Yeah, that's, that's the one. That's the one. All right, so. As OEMs everywhere are frantically developing electric and automotive technologies for their future, who cares? We'll just talk about the stats. Um, so, in uh, in the United States, yeah. um, consider, quote, advanced technology. The percentage of consumers surveyed who are unwilling, this is unwilling to pay more, yeah. than $500, which is $200 less than the cost of an iPhone. So, we're <laughs> right. just comparing it to your car, basically. Right. right? So, they don't want to pay more than $500, although they will pay $700 for a phone is the point. Um that's, they, uh, yeah, the I, people unwilling to spend more than $500 is 60%. Right. So That's, only 40% are like, yeah, I'll pay $500 connectivity, more for stuff. The 66% surveyed in the United States who don't want to pony up the cash. It's 75% don't think infotainment is worth it. 58% for autonomy and 54% for alternative engine solutions. <laughs> so more than half don't care at all. They don't care at all. And Germany is worse. Oh, really? And I have a theory about why, which we'll get into afterwards. In Germany, the percentage of people unwilling to pay beyond 400 euros, which is about 500 bucks, uh, for advanced tech in these categories, safety... 71% connectivity, mm-hmm. 79 infotainment, 84 autonomy, 67 and alternative engine solutions, 58. Wow. The German consumer is even more demanding when it comes to both range and cost. 34% ex- 34% expect a minimum of 400 miles and uh, the 24% of those expect to pay an EV premium of less than 800 euros, which is about 800, wow. 900 bucks. Wow. So they'll only, they're pretty much only willing to pay $800 more for the electric right. version of the car. Which basically says, hey, unless, and it's what everybody's been saying all along, unless these come in and it's an easy transition for people, right. nobody wants to pay more. No. No, nobody wants to pay more unless you're the guy that wants people that you want to tell people that you're paying more. You want to show, hey, you know, yeah. I'm doing something. I'm I'm right. helping with something. I'm going to buy this Tesla. Look at Which, me. Which, to, to play devil's advocate, Chris, that's why people buy performance cars, too, is they're showing of that. Of course. That right? just goes back so to the fact that it's just a different cars, side of that. Cars are a lifestyle choice. Right. They, they are. They're not appliances. They're lifestyle well, choices. Uh, <laughs> uh, I got gotcha. you. No. I got you. No. 
<laughs> for a lot of people, they are not. Okay, so uh, basically, you know, okay, we hold on. Okay. No, because I'm going to get you on this because oh. we just said the majority of people do. Get out of my boat. No, we just all these facts were saying the majority of people do not care. They don't care about this stuff. Right. They want an appliance. None of this stuff is something that is keeping up with the Joneses or bragging about it. Exactly. You don't. So and you were just saying the only reason people the only people who care about this stuff are the ones who are keeping up with the Joneses, not the people who just want an appliance car. So again, I was correct. You, I cannot even play the could be right clip for that. I think you are. I think you're wrong, but we'll, we'll, we'll move on. Regardless. Okay. So I thought, why do Germans dislike this stuff so much? Because generally you think of Germans in, in terms of these engineer type guys who are always, oh, it's my, Honestly, my, my German. So I know you have a theory, but for me, I think it's just cost and the fact that there isn't as much of a need for it. Like they, Europe in general has better public transit. They have train systems and everything else. So cars aren't, aren't at quite as necessary for more people. And also cars are just more expensive because of taxes and everything right. else. So I think where they're asking, oh, would you pay more for this? They're basically thinking, well, no, I don't even want to pay as much as I'm paying for a base metal car right now. You got to keep in mind that Germans also are very different in the way that they approach spending money. Okay. Most of these people will buy their cars. They'll just pay for it. They pay right, cash for cash. a car. They don't. The, yeah, you, the loan the, thing in Germany is not a thing like it is here. Right. It's a completely different style of economy than it is here. Nobody takes out a 96-month loan to buy a tr an F-150. That just does <laughs> not happen. Right. But I was also thinking maybe that they, um, they start to see this stuff as a threat to their economy because the entire economy of Germany is based on motoring. Not the right. whole economy. Yeah, it's pretty much the whole economy. No. It's not the whole We've talked economy. about this. No, well, not the whole economy, but let me rephrase. It is a, a large, large part. part of the economy. Thank you for correcting me on that useless tidbit. <laughs> um, so maybe they see it as a threat of like all this stuff is going to be taking their jobs. And it seems like an issue. We've talked about some of the articles that have come out saying, hey, a lot of these guys that are manufacturing engines are going to be losing their jobs because right. electric motors are just a bunch of copper windings and magnets. Right. Very, very easy to put together. Very easy to assemble. It doesn't take a bunch of different suppliers to put this stuff together. So maybe they see it as a threat. I don't know. That's probably not the case. It's probably more what you were thinking with just money and the way that they spend money. So you guess I could be right. Uh, Maybe. <laughs> so do you remember the gm engineers that got caught racing yeah we talked about this last week they so, were testing corvettes new corvettes quote unquote testing right and they were basically street racing they were basically, yeah, yeah so this is unofficial but with a little research you can find out that one of the men um has updated his linkedin saying that he no longer works for general motors and is searching for a new job oops and the other one has deleted his linkedin profile and other social media sites Wow. So Oops. technically, possibly, unofficially, don't source me on this, they might not have a job anymore. Yeah. Um, but did you really expect anything else? I mean, no. this yeah, if is, that makes headlines, yeah, then they're they're outed. I think you could probably almost get a job anywhere else. You know, can you just go somewhere mm. else and get a no. new job? No, Maybe. you're blacklisted, no manufacturers. I don't think you're blacklisted, anymore. but I take think some, they will take that into account. Take some time off. Take some time <laughs> off. Why don't you guys go to Cabo San Lucas for a little while? There you Think go. about what you, they're in detention right now. Yeah, they're in maybe. manufactured detention. All right. So do you remember the unintended acceleration thing from Tesla last week? Yeah. When we were we like, basically were like, it's not a thing. It's not a thing there. It's not. Uh, yeah. It's not. So Tesla says that this was brought up by a well-known Tesla short seller. Oh, so he was trying to like basically badmouth the brand and the company so stock would go down so, so basically he if this, could make money. So he, let's say the shares were $500 a share, just right. for a round number. I don't know what their shares are. $500 a share. He goes, all right, I'm going to short. So he short sells at 480. Right. And then he goes on and, and makes the story up or, talk, right. or pushes the story, hoping that it'll drop the stock and he can short sell and make money. Right. Pretty dastardly. That's, that's shisty. That's shisty. It's got to be illegal in some way. That's got to be illegal. So Tesla's official statement. While accidents caused by a mistaken press of the accelerator pedal have been alleged for nearly every make and model of vehicle on the road, the accelerator pedals in the Model S, X, and 3 vehicles have two independent position sensors. And if there's any error, the system defaults to cut off motor torque. Likewise, applying the brake pedal simultaneously with the accelerator pedal will override the accelerator pedal input and cut off motor torque. And regardless of the torque, sustained braking will stop the car. Right. So basically. So here's the thing is when you look at the, I had a couple of people send me the thing from Malcolm Gladwell. He did a revisionist history episode on this. Okay. And he said, all people need to do is use your brakes. Take your foot off the brake, put it on the brake, take your foot off the brake, put it on the brake, and you'll get the car to slow down. 
And Consumer Reports actually came out with a rebuttal that says, no, you cannot do that because the 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 brake assist stops working. Because you know your brake booster is vacuum related. Right. And at super high RPMs, I don't know that it works as well. There must be a reason that the the brake assist doesn't work as well when you're at 5,000 RPMs. Because oh. typically you're not at 5,000 RPMs or you hit When you're brake. trying to hit the, the brake. The vacuum system is completely different at that RPM. Right. No, you're right. Typically. Yeah, you, don't, you don't pull as much vacuum. Right. Exactly. So uh, in this situation, mm-hmm. because it's an electric motor. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So right. the computer is, says, hey, if these two pedals have input at the same time, cut throttle whatsoever. It's, yeah. it's, we just You just cannot. You can't do a brake stand in a Tesla, apparently, right. is, yes. is what they're saying. Unique to Tesla, we also use the autopilot sensor suite to help distinguish potential pedal misapplications and cut torque to mitigate or prevent accidents when we're confident the driver's input was unintentional. Oh, wow. Each system is independent and records data so we can determine exactly what happened, a.k.a. show us the data. And everybody's going to go away with their tail between their legs and go, yeah, maybe I just drove into my garage wall because I'm a moron. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Which, honestly, every single, almost... Every single that one of these unintended acceleration thing. Or the floor the mat got caught in there. That's which right. Which was the Toyota. So um, we found out that mathematicians are smarter than you. Okay. Did you, did you know that? They're, I, they're smart uh, guys. Okay. This is a pretty interesting story. Do you want to take this one? Sure. So some mathematicians are pissed off, Chris. They are. Especially at traffic and highway engineers. Quote, they do not have competencies in the field of system-related increases in traffic performance, says Alexander Krylatov, a mathematics professor at St. Petersburg University. Quote, if engineers manage to achieve local improvements, after a while, the flows rearrange and the same traffic jams appear in other places. I would agree with that. Yes. The only thing you can really do is add lanes. That's really the only thing. Otherwise, yeah, this if you're is just- actually a phenomenon I talked about before where ways isn't making traffic better. It's just causing traffic jams in different places. I would agree with that. Yeah. Uh, so this uh, Alexander guy, he wrote a book. It's called Optimization Models and Methods for Equilibrium Traffic Assignment. Wow, I can't wait to read that one. Sounds, <laughs> sounds riveting. One of the chapters for you, Chris, is Principles of Wardrop for Traffic Assignment in Road Network. All right, well, Wardrop sounds like... It does. It sounds like a video game for Xbox. War now drop. coming, Wardrop, the War first drop. person shooter to change the next generation <laughs> of shooters. That was good. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's actually John Wardrop. It's a guy. Oh, yeah. Uh, He then helped to set up and later headed a traffic and safety division of the British Road Research Unit in Slough, where he published his work on equilibrium. So in later life, he worked at the University of College in London and Wardrop's first principle of route choice, now known as user equilibrium, selfish uh, selfish Wardrop equilibrium or just Wardrop equilibrium. This is actually, I know it's a little wordy but this is really interesting to find out where the roots of traffic um science science comes yeah, from. yeah it's traffic science so it's basically identical to the notion postulated by knight and became accepted as a sound and simple behavioral principle to describe the spreading of trips over alternative routes because of congested conditions so it basically states that the journey times in all different routes actually used are equal and less than those that would be expected by a, experienced by a single vehicle on any unused route. The traffic flows that satisfy this principle are usually referred to as the user equilibrium or UE flows since each user chooses the route that is best for them individually. Right. So you basically have a bunch of unique people choosing whatever route they want. That's basically the, that's right. that summed up. Yes. So Wardrop's second principle, known as the system optimal or social Wardrop equilibrium states that at equilibrium the av- <laughs> at equilibrium the average journey time is at a minimum that implies that all users behave cooperatively in choosing their routes to ensure that most efficient use of the whole system for example this would be the case if an omnipotent central authority could command them all did which- you say omnipotent yes i did otherwise known as omnipotent omnipotent <laughs> it's very potent. Very, very potent. Very this, potent. This Omni is the most potent Omni ever. <laughs> it's a Dodge Omni. It's the most potent Dodge Omni. Uh, so anyways, if there was some central system that basically said, you must go there, and Chris, you must go that way, and you must go that way. We have that. You know what it's called? What? Toll roads. I guess. Yeah, because think about it, the toll roads that only go one way, and they change. Oh, you're right. Yeah, I, see what I you think mean. that's what they're talking yeah. about. So traffic flows satisfying Wardrop's second principle are generally deemed system optimal. 
Economists and modelers have argued that it can be achieved with marginal cost road pricing or go. by a central routing authority dictating route changes. So, yeah, yeah, so literally cost, cost road pricing, that's, that's toll, toll roads. roads. Yeah. Or HOV lanes, that kind of thing, right? Yeah. So all the basic ideas this mathematician has are, one, all drivers need to be on the same navigation system. So you can't be using Google Maps and I can't be using Waze and everything else. Right. I mean, all the data on the same system. And cars can only be efficiently rerouted if, if instructions come from one central hub. One navigation system rerouting some drivers does not solve the traffic jam as a whole. Number two, parking bans. Many urban roads are too narrow and cannot be physically widened. Traffic flow models can indicate where parking spots should then be turned into lanes. That makes sense. Yeah. Number three, green lanes. For cities that want to increase electric car usage, special lanes should be created for electric cars, providing second. an incentive for their Hold use. So we're, so we're gonna we're gonna either add lanes or change lanes. That's gonna make traffic worse because there's only a few electric cars. So you're going to well, be a, that's why you're going to disallow all of these other cars from driving in this extra lane which could carry thousands hundreds of thousands of of, of cars through. Yeah, that's not helping. That's not helping at anything. all. It's just trying to sell more electric cars. Uh, number 4 digital twins. So traffic demands and available infrastructure can only be balanced with digital modeling that creates an entire twin of existing roadways. The software will be an extremely useful thought tool in the hands of transport engineers. So he's basically saying any of these mathematical models need to be exact replicas of real life and be accurate. Right. And quote, the mathematical approach in this case is superior to the engineering and economic one. Okay, nerd. So, so, nerd. <laughs> so, nerd. So, if you were to have a mathematician and this guy, and then a transportation engineer battle to the to the death in a pit, who would win? Well, uh, the mathematician <laughs> would have to keep pushing up his glasses up. Yeah, his whichever nose. one has the bigger calculator. Yeah, or, yeah, exactly. I don't know. All right, so Chris, we have details on the Aston Martin Valkyrie. Do you remember this car? It's Aston Martin's crazy supercar. Things wild, yeah. Yeah. So ex Formula One driver Nico Rosberg recently. So it's it's crazy that he won the Formula One championship and went, I'm done. I quit. I didn't know that. Yeah, he won then was he just had enough. He just had that oh, little taste and might as well quit while you're on top i guess maybe yeah it was a rough season for him anyway yeah so he didn't actually he wasn't going to buy one but they basically let him play with the configurator which isn't public yet so he had the opportunity to spec out his own valkyrie and has revealed a handful of previously unknown details about the hypercar he states that the regular road legal valkyrie will be capable of lap times 95 percent as fast as a current formula one car Jesus. Should a customer opt for the available track performance package, that pace moves up to 97% of the lap time of an F1 car. Meanwhile, the track-only Valkyrie variant will actually be 5% faster than any F1 car is capable of. That's nuts. So this thing is really, really, really fast. And really, 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 really expensive. Yeah. Uh, here's another thing. Uh, lucky enough to order a Valkyrie, these guys will have near infinite number of possibilities because, of course, it's so expensive. So one of the Valkyrie owners will even have actual moon dust sprinkled into the paint of his car. Moon dust in his paint of his because car. Because why not? <laughs> I can't imagine having so much money that I go, yeah, I, just, well, I want, yeah, let's get some, I want moon some moon dust in here. And instead of a cup holder, I actually want a chilled caviar dish. Yeah. Where I can just put caviar in there. Come on, man. Yeah. When you're going your faster fan? than an F1 car. That's the decisions you have to make when you're extremely wealthy. <laughs> what kind of moon dust? Is there more than one type of moon oh, dust? Oh, I bet. Like, which crater is it from? Can uh, you buy it from different craters? Unbelievable. Is it from the man on the moon edition? <laughs> so stupid. Yeah. So dumb. So do you want to hear about Greta Thunberg or should we go right to our listener questions? I don't care about Greta Thunberg. All right. Let's move on. She's an idiot. We'll just leave, right, we'll so just leave it at we're that. We're going to call this section the mailbag. We Chris. are. Why don't you read the first one? Yeah, okay, so this is from Facebook. Gabriel Young, he said, what is the car you most regret selling? And on the flip side, most regret buying. Go ahead. Um, I really miss my Mark IV R32. That car was just, I, I think everything about it was just perfect. I love the color. I loved the stance, the wheels, the sound. It was awesome. I miss that car. Well, those are easy enough to find. Why don't you get another one if you miss it so bad? I don't miss it bad enough to replace anything i already have so what about the uh the regret 
Never had any regrets? I haven't owned enough cars to really be like that one I regret. I don't flip cars every month like you. So the car that I regret selling, and I told this story to the BMW guys last night, is I had a E30 325iS. It was red, had the little spoiler on the back, had black sport interior, like the super adjustable killer leg bolstered Recaro situation sure, in there. Okay. I learned there was the first car that I ever drifted. And I yeah. remember just practicing in a parking lot <laughs> of Cabela's at like two o'clock yeah. in the afternoon on Sunday, <laughs> drifting it around a light pole, just yeah. trying to figure out how to do it because okay. it was my first rear wheel drive car. Kept spinning out over and over and over again. But as soon as you get the hang of it, it's a wonderful car to drive. It's so good. And then I sold it to buy a ratty piece of shit Mark II VR6. <laughs> <laughs> it was and then what that happened is, to the price of e30s after that is you the, did that uh they went crazy so yeah, that is exactly. my uh that is my regret selling and regret uh buying at the same time because i yeah. read buying that mark ii what a stupid decision that was and then i uh regret getting rid of that car as well so um next car culture and family dynamics this is ross uh asking this one how to include family and share the passion when have we gone too far and the family suffers how did we learn from this um and then Spencer Spear had a very similar question about yeah. how to bring significant others into car culture. And I have a very simple answer for that. What is it? Marry a girl who likes cars. It, that's the that's <laughs> incorrect. I think okay. I think what you need to do is in terms of the garage, I always bring the girls out and have them do simple things. Sure. In the garage. That's an easy one with the kids. I take them out in the car. They can drive the car around the block, stuff like that, sit on my lap. But the one but, thing but, I think you do really well, if I can interject, is you're not afraid that you need to understand they're not going to break anything, right? And even if they do, you can fix it, and that'll be another teachable moment. Right. Like, I feel like you really have them like, all right, well, take off the wheel yourself. Let's go. Do yep. it. And I, I really commend you for that, and I think not enough people maybe do that. Yeah, that's probably true. Everybody's a little scared. They kind of keep their car, their kids away from the car. They think they're going to damage it. but Or maybe that the kids are going to get hurt. The hard thing, though, is, is I hear a lot of significant others or people, I don't know if they're joking or what, but everybody's always like, oh, well, I got to check with my wife or my wife won't let me do this or oh, wife this. And it's not necessarily about marrying a wife that's into cars. It's about you making a compromise with her to get her involved in what you're doing. What does she like? Right. What is it that she likes doing? Maybe you can put the two together. Maybe she wants to go out to dinner. Maybe she wants to go on a trip. Make it a road trip instead of taking the plane. Take the car. You kind of you have to kind of integrate and compromise with your significant other to to do things that each of you like. Are right. you making the sacrifices for her to do things that you may not be into that she's into? If you want her to do the same for you, you're going to have to give it back the other way. I mean, that's for me. That's what marriage is all about. Right. So overcrest marriage advice is. <laughs> <laughs> is uh is is marriage is all about compromise and, well and, and i think more than that even it's about communicating like w share why you like this hobby right what is it about it it's not just ooh, cars are cool and i want to spend money on car parts it's no i really like you know it's the community or i like being able to learn and build something with my hands and that gives me fulfillment right and i would love for you to you know experience that same fulfillment i get or want you to understand that and i think if your significant other or your family understands why you find fulfillment from this then it's easier for them to be agreeing on a lot of these things. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it's all a little bit of both. And I I had my I bought my wife rabbits back in the day to get her into it and gave her just here. This is your car now, the Volkswagen, not yeah. the sex toy. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Anyways, no comment. We're along. Um, so, any, John Hansen says any type of car scene. Um, you wish you could learn more about, spend more time looking to in person. Example, rally, classic cars, hot rods, trucks, bikes, all of that. Yeah. Every, I want to learn and be... Into, oh, you, oh, your answer is yes, all of that. Yes, all of that. I'm interested in everything. <laughs> all of the above. I really am. There's not much out there for car culture that I'm not interested in. Right. I don't really like street racing culture, I guess. I'm not really into that type of thing. Yeah. Um, we're going to have Mike Burroughs on the podcast in the next several weeks, maybe in the next month, to talk about off-roading. See, that was literally what I was going to say is I want to go to a rock crawling event. I would love to do that. I also, I've never been to a tractor pull. I've never yeah, done that. We went, we went to the NHRA thing. That was I, cool. I, you know, uh, Jerry Horton recommended that. I would like to experience everything. I've seen drifting now. I, I really like that. I think anytime you can get... In my opinion, this goes beyond cars. Anytime mm -hmm. you can get somebody that's really passionate about something, there could be a guy that is really passionate about being a garbage man. Okay. And if he wants to sit down and tell me, and it's and he's really passionate about being a garbage man, it's probably going to be interesting, and I'll probably listen. Right. You know. So, in terms of cars, which is something that I already like, 
It's, yeah. it's really easy to get me interested in what you're doing. <laughs> I'm sure. listening. I, I'm, I'm right there. But sure. I think off-roading is something that is probably top of the list because I want to do some overland exploring. Yeah. You know, I've been out in Utah and stuff where I'm driving on the road and I see this little path go off into, into this you know federal land that you can go drive wherever you want if you want to. On this federal land, you can do it. It's legal. You can just go for it. Right. I That's really, pretty rad. I really, really want to really want to do that. Probably not in the 911, though. No, absolutely not. Unfortunately not. That's why I wanted a forerunner. I thought that would be an excellent truck to be able to do that in. And it would. It would. But not for 40 grand. No. No, not going to happen. All right. So from Instagram, we have a few more questions. Uh, By the way, we like these questions. This is great. I really appreciate this, Uh, guys. Good. Egg Sandwich Master. He asks, why are wagons essentially dead in the U.S.? And are they making a comeback? Uh, Wagons are essentially dead in the U.S. because of the crossover. There's almost no point unless you want to feel different mm-hmm. as a regular car consumer to buying a wagon. I think a lot of it goes to the perception. Wagons still in a lot of people's mind are from the late 70s. It's the old, you know, like uh, the fake wood panel grain 70s Chrysler, whatever it was. And people are like, oh, wagons. Those I think are- it's a little of that, but I still think it's a little bit more that the SUV is so much more practical for more people. They're usually all wheel drive. They have a higher seating position. They usually yeah. don't hold more stuff. What's that? The wagon usually can hold a little bit more stuff. It's than a crossover. Than a crossover. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I would agree. Um, I, they made a little bit of a comeback. Buick sold some, but realistically, no. Yeah. All right. So another Instagrammer, E30Yo. E30Yo. All right. So question for you, Chris. Modified cars in Minnesota. Are there limitations and perks to having a short driving season? Typical types of Minnesota car builds and the reasons why you having a track-only car might not be the best or worst idea around here. Um, anything that I tell you that justifies living here is basically covering up the fact that it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you always go, oh, well, we have project season. It's where we work on our projects. Yeah, no, that's, it's you can do that in the crap. summer too. Yep. It's being a car guy here sucks. It Tri- does. You y- know, the biggest problem is, is that you don't want to drive anything daily that's going to get ruined in the right. winter. You can't drive anything cool because you're just like, oh, well, it's going to get destroyed. I can't drive the AMG. It's just sitting there in the driveway. You can't drive. I can't go get a Audi 4000 Quattro. It was a winter car because it's going to disintegrate immediately. Yeah, but that'd be the perfect winter car, Chris. Of course it will, but it's going to turn into a giant t- toilet that I don't want to work on really, really fast. It's just they're too cool. You, can, you don't want to ruin an old Audi 4000 Quattro. They're too cool now. You know what we should look into that might be the only thing that you could justify? Ice racing. Yeah, the the thing is, is you can look into ice racing a little bit. One, ice racing will trash the car if it's real ice racing car to car. Yeah, it's going to get destroyed. Well, that's fine. Just buy um, something old. And so there is ice ice racing here. The Glacier Lake Quattro Club does ice racing. Right. But it's kind of like, a, hey, let's just go drive around on the ice. And I just, uh, yeah, not that. You know, I, I I would be. I if I'm going to do it, it, I want it to be competitive. Right. You know, I want it to be timed. I want to win. I want a trophy. I want to. I want something to get to. Like I want to beat everybody else. Right. And I don't think it's like that. Which is, okay. you know, whatever. All right. Uh, last one. Brandon McCurley official. I have a 1985 and a half Porsche 944. Never going to be a show car. But what should I do to it? Track car, rally car. It runs great, and the interior needs a little TLC. So track car, rally car is probably my least. The uh, least amount of options. I guess I don't know what else he drives. So right. that's kind of the, you know, you don't want to turn your regular car into a track car, a rally car. Um, but in that in that regard, I mean, they're great track cars. They are. They, for sure. That's know, why there's a spec 944 series. Yeah, they were they were great at that. Um, runs great. Interior needs TLC. They all did. Right. All the, you know, the Porsche stuff of that vintage just I would sucked. just clean it up. I mean, don't go wild modifying it. I would just maybe lower it on some nice wheels you like. What it would be nice is to make it into maybe like a, a, a weekend track car where you can throw some different wheels and tires on it. Mm-hmm. When you get to the track, put a roof rack on it, get there, put the new tires on, head on to the track, beat the hell out of it, and then drive home. Right. That's probably what I would do because having a dedicated track car. I a, think you'll regret that. A, you will regret it. It takes up a lot of space, and it's impossible to sell when you're done. True. Because nobody wants your track car that you'd right. beat the hell out of. And there's a lot of times I'm sure you're like, well, I wish I could just go drive down this cool canyon road with it. Yeah. But nope, it's a stripped interior and probably isn't licensed anymore. And you have to wear a helmet because you're right. going to bang your head on the roll cage right. and die. So I agree. All yeah. right. So Jonathan Colazzo says tools that every car owner should have. 
all of them. <laughs> like I always say, <laughs> buy the best tools that you can afford. You know, a simple wrench set. You yeah. know what's a great kit is just going to, I guess you would go to Lowe's now because you can't go to Sears. Craftsman. Just get a Craftsman like 500 piece set yeah. in the little plastic case that's, a, you know, metric or SAE depending on what you drive. Get that, get some screwdrivers, pliers, a hammer and some vice grips and you're probably What good. is your favorite tool? Ooh, probably... I really like the the little Nipex um, adjustable pliers that I have. Okay, they they grip really really well, and it's not like the uh, like the old adjustable pliers that suck. This these things really really grab. Anything by Nipex is nice. They're made in Germany. They're okay. good stuff. My, and then I got these. Uh, I got some wrenches from Worth also. Yeah, that are, that are really really nice. And you know what's a really great tool is their little flexible uh, uh, hose clamp tool. Really, where you can just. Dude, hose clamps suck. <laughs> you know, getting a screwdriver in some places on some cars to like a rigid screwdriver. Yeah. Flexible. Nice. Yeah. All right. So last one. So Brian Matthew asked us, he's a little behind on the podcast and just listened to the autonomous car episode. I have a few questions that no one seems to ever address. How will all our local municipalities make money if cars become autonomous? There's a huge stream of money that comes in from parking tickets, speeding tickets, running stoplights, heck, even DUIs. Does the rise of self-driving cars mean higher taxes for everyone? This money has to come from somewhere. I'm 42, and this entire era is starting to really scare me. Keep up the great podcast. The, the government never doesn't get its cake. Right. You know, there's there's times where um, the government will pass, and this happened a lot in, in England, like some temporary VAT tax and stuff like that. Okay. We're like, hey, we need some money, so we're going to put this extra tax on X. Yeah. And we'll take it off later. Never, it never, ever, off. never, ever, never happens. They, the Department of Transportation and whatever you, they're siphoning the money off to use for other projects is going to continue to, that revenue will continue to roll in. Yeah. They'll put a, they'll put a new tax on the car. I think they're gonna start, your licensing charges will be significantly higher. They're also probably going to start tracking mileage. You're going to have to report your mileage on your car to see how much usage you're making on the roads. Maybe there's going to be some sort of, uh, you go in, uh, a lot of states have, you know, emission centers. Mm -hmm. Maybe you'll go and do a test every year and they plug the thing in your car. How many miles did you drive? No, and they're going to start figuring out. I don't know where it's going to go, but they're going to figure out some way to determine your usage sure. and how much tax you're going to pay. That's right now. That's what gas tax is. You're yeah, buying you're right. the gas tax. You're using tax. it, and uh, you know tolls are a similar type of. Maybe usage. they'll somehow figure out what electricity or power is going into automotive usage and just tax that power differently, like they do fuel. It's possible, except for your. Uh, well, you're going to have to charge your car on the go sometimes, so they're probably going to tax you at the charger. Yeah. Right. So that'll be something. But at home, I don't know how they would differentiate. Just, yeah, I don't know either. Differentiate that unless it's some unless Bernie Sanders becomes president, because then all the electric companies will be government owned anyway, and then they'll just be able to figure out what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, speaking of states, I have one last story to tell you. All right, let's have Georgia. it. Georgia has held a contest for better highway safety signs. So these are the ones, Chris, when you're going and it's like the big lit up LED signs and it says something like click it or ticket. Yeah. Or, you know, DUIs are higher in holidays. Drive yep. safe. And they're and sometimes usually they're... pretty lame. Sometimes they're starting to get a little more clever. Yep. Well, Georgia says, okay, well, let's just go on the internet where all of this stuff is coming from. And oh, just, the memes. Yeah, yeah. Let's ask people to submit their funniest signs that should be out there. And All some right. of these are pretty good. So these are the winners that Georgia has selected. If you miss your exit, it's okay. We made more up ahead. <laughs> okay. You are allowed to use turn signals. We checked. <laughs> okay. You look great, but the selfie can wait. I like that one. That's pretty good. The guy have to have to rhyme. That's the point. It's got to be like the end of a limerick or something. It's got to <laughs> it's got to rhyme. Yeah, hire a poet for these. Uh, looking at the road is a great way to stay on it. That's lame. I like that. It. Is so lame. No one wants to see your traffic on Snapchat, Brenda. <laughs> so this poor Brenda. <laughs> this, this person who put this in knows somebody named Brenda that will not stop Snapchat. You know what's terrible though? Brenda is like some older lady, so she's driving and she sees this sign she's directed like, at her. She's what like, Snapchat? Ah, I don't understand. <laughs> what's Snapchat? Oh my god. Yeah, uh, I like this one. Pop quiz. What is the speed limit on this road? Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, because yeah. you'll think like, oh wait, what is the speed limit? <laughs> don't be a turkey and drive basted. <laughs> <laughs> I like this. If you don't wear a seatbelt, please be an organ donor. Oh, yeah. Jeez, that's hardcore, <laughs> I, man. I like that one. And lastly, avoid destruction. 
Mind the construction. That one is quite good. A little bit of rhyming in there. Um, well, that was good. A great, great episode. We've got uh, next on Friday, we have, so the upcoming guests, we have Derek Joyce, who is with Hyundai. We're going to talk to him about some oh, of their performance cool. stuff. We've got um, Dave Engelman from Porsche is going to come in to talk about Formula E and everything that Porsche Cars of North America Motorsport is doing with Formula E. So that's really interesting. That'll be interesting. And like I said, we've got Michael Burroughs is going to come on, talk about off-road, and then you have a history episode to do somewhere in there. Yes, so we got to get that figured out. And then also Bilstein is going to come on the podcast talk to suspension. talk about suspension. I love it. And uh, correct you on your pronunciation of camber. Camber. All right, guys, we will see you on Friday. Take care.